Good afternoon and welcome to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and we've got another fantastic show for you today. I'm so thrilled to have these guests on. Uh, but first, I want to make a quick shout out here to our hosts, our platform here at KUHSDenver.com. It's KUHSDenver.com. We are broadcasting here in Denver, Colorado, all across the nation and all across the world. We have uh, people who are tuning in to this show and all of our shows from so many different countries. Thank you so much for tuning in, taking time out of your day to, to be a part of uh, with us. To uh, some of the things that we're going to be sharing to, to be listening because this show uh, wouldn't exist without you. And so it's an honor to be your host and thank you for tuning in. Also, I uh, need to let you know that my first book, uh, the first book that I've written called Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age uh, is going to be available for purchase on July 10th, 2019, coming up. And it's going to be on bookbaby.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Kobo, so many of the ebook uh, uh, sites that you can purchase books at. So it's going to be available all around the world, international. So please, if you're interested in a self-help book for the soul, it's not very big, it's not huge, but it's something that will can really help you to tap into sitting with some of the masters, some of the, the great teachers that have come around, like Socrates, like the Greek tragedy playwrights, Aeschylus, uh, Ezekiel in the um, uh, Jewish tradition in Israel that led to monotheism, um, Lao Tzu, Confucius, um, Buddha. And these are the people that you will be sitting down with and just getting an intimate dialogue, conversation, uh, reflection and contemplation on some of their deeper teachings. And so I think you'll find it really valuable. Um, I really think you'll, you'll love it. And so anyway, it's going to be available on July 10th. Uh, look for it. Again, it's Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. Today's show is going to be focused on marriage and relationships. Oh, wow. I mean, who, who doesn't need help in this area? Uh, and I certainly do, that's for sure. Uh, and one of the things that, uh, that really intrigued me about, uh, about the, the guests that I'm going to have on and introduce here in just a moment was they found a way to fall in love forever. I mean, I, I've, I've had some couple not so good, I mean, some good parts in the relationship, but then some not so good parts in the relationship. And, uh, and, and so it, it, it made me doubt that it was even possible to have uh, long-term love, uh, you know, to fall in love forever. I mean, my parents didn't make it past 40 years. They got divorced after 40 years of marriage. And so it's like, wow, you know, is it even possible to, for people to stay together? Uh, you know, or how do we, how do we keep the, the romance going and those relationships instead of feeling like roommates and not really lovers? Uh, you know, I've, I wanted to long from that more passion and then that intimacy with my partner. And, but I also wanted to maintain my sense of individuality and autonomy and not completely fall into some patterns of, all right, I'm going to take care of your needs in order to get to back to my needs. So how do we get there? You know, and so when I was looking at some of the questions that we're going to talk about today, I was like, boy, oh boy, you know, I could really resonate with wanting to know at least some steps, is it possible for us to be able to achieve that? I mean, in my personal relationships, I, I fell into a lot of shadow patterns. You know, I didn't, I didn't really understand the, the, how to love well. 
I think I, I, I wanted to love really well, and then I would fall into, like I said, a codependent uh, empath type of pattern where I would sacrifice my own needs in order to get uh, to take care of other people's emotions and feelings, support their dreams, support their hopes, and I wasn't getting that in return. And then after a while, that, there would be a part of me that would be resisting that and trying to fight back and reclaim you know, that sense of autonomy that I wanted to have, and then it become this conflict of choice that was going on. And that at the root, I think, was a, some of the biggest problems that I found in my relationships was the, 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 the choice of, of how do I d get to direct my own life. And one person not wanting me to make that choice or to make a choice that she wanted to make rather than saying, okay, let me support you in your dreams as well and in your hopes and in your, your goals and let's find a way so that we can you know, build together that you can, I can help you to grow in your, on your path and you can help me to grow on my path and then together we can build something that will like be a blossom, a third, where we're able to somehow, you know, do things together as well, you know, and so that we can grow individually and grow in the relationship. And I didn't know the steps to how to be able to do that. So I'd fall into my patterns and then we'd get into these accusations and blame and then we'd hurt each other. We'd tear each other apart. I mean, it's, it was crazy. And it's not like when you meet the people that you end up falling in love with the first time. It's not like when you meet them and you think, oh, my gosh, geez, what a great guy. What a great gal that she is. My gosh, you know, I, I, I can't wait till we get divorced. I can't wait till we. I can't wait till we separate. This is going to be great because we're going to tear each other apart. We're going to say the meanest things to each other. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to. We're going to do cruel things. We're going to lie to each other, deceive each other, maybe betray each other. We're going to do some terrible things. It's going to be great. No, I don't think most people get into relationships hoping that you're going to do. You don't. You hope it's going to work out. You hope it's going to be the real thing that's going to last a lifetime. So how do we do that? How do we find those steps? Well, my guest, Dr. Michael Grossman, is an MD, uh, number one best-selling author, fellow of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, and an expert in integrative regenerative medicine, cosmetics, marriage, and meditation. His OC Wellness office specializes in anti-aging regenerative medicine. And Dr. Barbara Grossman, is a PhD, number one best-selling author, individual marriage and family therapist with over 60,000 hours of counseling, integrating spirituality and psychology. And for over 25 years, tw over 25 years, doctors Michael Grossman and Barbara Grossman have taught thousands of couples practical skills to create a fulfilling romantic partnership. They have TV appearances on CBS, NBC, Fox, and CW, and they're here today to share the secrets to having a fulfilling long-term romantic relationship with a true love that lasts forever through all the phases of life. Welcome to the show, Dr. Michael and Dr. Barbara. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Could you, uh, would you mind sharing just a little bit with our audience? Uh, a little bit of each of you uh, about your background, where you come from, and why you are both doing the work that you're doing today. Well, I'm a, uh, a medical doctor. Been going through um, the process of being a medical doctor, you learn 
how to be um, intellectual and not too emotionally involved with your patients because you have many patients who get sick and die and have all kinds of problems and you have to kind of step back a little bit. So I learned to be a really good doctor and um, I learned to be really in my head being intellectual and to kind of hold back getting real emotionally involved with people, particularly my patients. And, but that had an effect to being, uh, you know, not so much involved with, uh, with my wife. I was very into creating my practice and my life. And um, um, over time, it became a real issue for Barbara. She wanted more of my emotional attention. And uh, I was not so comfortable with that. So I remember one particular occasion, we, we share this with our audience sometimes, where here I am being the doctor coming home at night late at night it's um um 11 o'clock or so and uh i'm really exhausted so i come in after being in the hospital after being in my office all day and i come home and then barbara says to me i just want to talk about a feeling my feelings and i say well i'm exhausted now let's talk tomorrow and i say um you never want to talk about anything you don't care about me and I kind of say, oh, my God, you're so selfish. You only care about yourself. And we get into this huge argument where she just wants to share about feelings. And I just want to go to bed because I'm exhausted. And it's raining and thundering. And the, and the lightning is going on in our um, uh, Southern California. Um, you, you have the uh, lightning and then a few seconds later the thunder comes and we're screaming and yelling at each other and the lightning and thunder are getting closer and closer together and then we're in our bedroom and and she's screaming at me and I'm screaming at her I just want to go to sleep and she says you don't you don't never want to talk about anything and then the lightning and thunder uh, occur at the same moment and the house shakes and it just vibrates and it explodes and the lightning comes down our chimney this is a true story comes down our chimney in the bedroom and sprays sparks all over our bedroom and we're both stunned into silence and that for me was a signal from the heavens hey you better do this better this is not a good way to go about this so that was my you know my 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 uh, signal from from the heavens hey better do this better <laughs> well that's a great story and so the lightning actually came in through the uh, the chimney and like right, and, and we had a screen. You have a metal a metal screen around the fireplace. Right, right. So when it, when it came through, it sparks. It kind of like flew out through completely over the room. I thought we were going to be uh, like on fire, but 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 the sparks kind of like fizzled <laughs> out. But uh, but uh, that's what happens, you know. There's nothing more powerful. Than, than the emotional upsets between two people who, quote, love each other. <laughs> well, that is for sure. Uh, and what a great story. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm Barbara, and, uh, you know, it was it, uh, was it something that was calling inside of you to say, you know what, we need to address this in our marriage? It was something that you found that you're, like, uh, this is like, we need to dive deeper into understanding the, the psycho-spiritual dynamics that are going on between us because... Otherwise, we're not going to be moving ahead. Did something like that happen to you or occur? Well, I don't know that it was that um, uh, clearly reflective. What it was is that, you know, it's, like you were saying, it's, um, it's automatic that we fall in love. Mm-hmm. It's very easy, and it happens, and uh, we connect and bond. 
and then if, especially if you are um, not focused on your competence, but if you're you know in the caretaking part of the relationship, usually it's the woman, you're more accommodating, more agreeable. And years pass, and uh, during those years, a lot of um, again, you you know, going back to your comments, the challenge of relationship is balancing connection with your individuality. And by that time, we had been married about 10 years, and my, you know, my individuality was coming more to the surface. My children were a little, little older, and um, I had my own feelings, my own desires, and they had become suppressed over time. And um, I wasn't very um, calm and reflective about it. I was emotional about it. And that's, you know, a lot of what, why we're inspired to teach pe- people how to uh, grow their marriages and their relationships because you need skill to be able to deal with the balance of connection and true love with individuality. Mm-hmm. And um, when when you're you know in my experience, when my own personal feelings and desires showed up, it didn't show up like a whisper. It showed up like a volcano because mm. there were there were years of hurts and resentments underneath that conversation. I had been supporting Michael and growing his career. I'd been raising my children and I was, you know, I was feeling really neglected. And so when I started to, to when I started to speak my voice, it wasn't, wasn't a nice voice and it, it wasn't very easy for Michael to deal with me. So we had to learn new skills. Well, I think that's so true. You know, those accumulated uh, little injuries that happen uh, during the course of a relationship uh, when you don't address those things as they're accumulating, all of a sudden it does. It comes out like a volcano. And you're like, where did that come from? Oh, my gosh. And it's just out of the blue. And But it is. It's those years of accumulation. And I I watched that happen with my, my parents. Uh, I experienced that myself in both of my major you know relationships in my life with the women that I was with. And, you know, I work with a lot of clients, uh, Dr. Michael and Dr. Barbara, um, you know, that are coming out of bad marriages. I work with people who are going through divorce, uh, helping them to set up parenting plans for their kids. And they're coming out of bad marriages. They're coming out of toxic relationships. And they, many of them, many of them say all this love stuff is a sham. It's a lie. It's a ripoff. Um, We've been, we've just all been bought into it. We got, we bought into this lie. And the divorce rate in America is almost 50%. Is it really possible? Is it really possible for couples to fall in love forever? So what you're calling a bad marriage is often a, um, the expression of hurt and anger, but uh, underneath that, a, dear, a deep desire for love and connection. And without the skills, things just roll out of control and people, you know, the worst parts of our personality show up. So I don't know that, you know, I think it's, it's um, the, the opportunity of, growing through that is the opportunity of developing yourself, evolving your personality and growing the ability to really express your intention and your desires for each other. And, you know, when, when love fails, it's because um, we just don't know how to express what we want and share our deepest needs. And it's, you know, when, you're, when, you, when we're hurt, we don't um, share our vulnerability. And so it's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster and it's avoidable. What, what I would say is that <clears throat> there's a, a map of emotions. You have the outer level is anger. And always underneath the anger is, is um, hurt and, and, and um, uh, uh, sadness, 
and fear. So you, you have underneath the anger is other emotions. There's, there's some kind of hurt that's there. There's some kind of fear that's there. And, and these are layers of things. We teach in our classes for people, for relationships, for couples to share immediately when there's some kind of an ouch happening that the other parties need to know that there's some kind of ouch and you don't let the angers and the hurts and the sadness and the fears build up into anger. And if you catch it early, it's like a snowball coming down the mountainside. If you let it go down, it becomes an avalanche and you're just overwhelmed by it. But if you catch it early, it's just a little snowball. So we, that's one of the things that we teach our couples. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we teach, teach our couples is we teach them how to share intensely for five minutes without interrupting each other so that you get to see the other party's point of view of seeing the world it's different than your point of view it's not better or worse it's just different men and women are different we see the world differently we experience the world differently we understand the world differently and you just have to listen to the other party and it expands your vision of life and it lets you understand they're not doing things to torture you. They didn't do that to torture you. We teach our couples that each of you have hurts from childhood that you'd like to heal. So the nature, as you were talking about originally, is it possible for romance to actually work? Well, the nature of romance is that what attracted you to your partner will upset you later on. I love Barbara because she's so accommodating and she just loves the connection and being close. But it also can drive me crazy that, that she doesn't let me have my space. I, I want space. She likes being close to me, but I like space. So it's the nature of romance that whatever attracts you is also going to create some upset later. And you have understand that's the way that's romance it's <laughs> a romance well, and, we, we do that we do have that kind of sense of where we're attracted to the things and then all of a sudden the very things that we were attracted to are the very things that all of a sudden they repel us backwards and you're like wait a second i'm so attractive but i need my space i know exactly dr michael what you're talking about feeling that sense of i'm so in love with this person but my gosh i got to step back as well and I think also for men we tend to because our, our brains are different we didn't we don't have that our corpus callosum is a little bit smaller in a, in a male's brain than in a female's brain, so we're not able to process a lot of those emotions that come involved in romantic relationships, and sometimes we have to go into our cave in order to be able to process it. And if we don't allow ourselves to go into that cave to just give us a sense of, okay, I'm, to get back, back in balance, uh, we resort to anger, because that's the easiest emotion that we can get to. And so... Uh, both of you have been teaching this marriage class for about 25 years. What what do you see are the biggest uh, difficulties in modern marriage? Um, I think the, um, one of the biggest difficulties is that when, when women, uh, again, transition into um, from child rearing to uh, uh, working in the world, they step into um, uh, a different part of their personality and um, they, um, they, they have a hard time managing their um, their anger for for all the for all the self sacrifice they've um, they've done for the family uh, their their voices are shrill um, they forget to appreciate their guys 
um, and they don't know how to just ask for the support and love they want. I, I, I believe men want to love and give to their, their women, um, but they have a hard time with criticism and disrespect. And so we get a, um, a, a kind of power struggle at that point in relationship that's unfortunate. It distorts who we are and it, it, it misrepresents our intention for love and for, for growing our lives and our families. So it's, it's a sad thing for, for American couples. I, I would also add that compared to 100 years ago, the roles that men and women play in marriage are totally uncertain. A hundred years ago, you knew what the guy was going to do. He's going to go out to work and earn a living and then come home and the woman was going to be there and she was going to, you know, cook and clean, take care of the kids. Everyone knew their roles. Nowadays, nobody knows their roles. So that that's added on to everything that Dr. Barber talked about, that this uncertain roles, you have to work out the roles. There's a lot of push and pull about who's doing what, when and where. And romance goes away when you divide things 50-50. You take out the garbage Monday, I take it out on Tuesday. You take the kids here on Monday, I take the kids on Tuesday. There's no romance. You become two lawyers, two accountants, taking care of everything, and poof, there goes the romance. Well, we, yeah. we, Go ahead. We, we, get, we get lost in the business of life. Even uh, more than that, 100 years ago, the uh, average expectancy for life is 47 years so we never got to, you know, basically a couple work together side by side yeah. to provide for a family and raise the children, and then life was over. Yeah. So the kind of um, challenges we have as couples is, is really quite new. Well, that's so true. And I think, you know, being able to, we don't understand how to be, because we didn't have those. My, my, great, uh, my grandparents came from Italy, and, you know, they lived in these very small villages in Italy, where they had to rely and have lots of children in order to be able to support the farms because the farming was very challenging. They, my, my grandmother lost three children and had six children, and so they couldn't even process those emotions. But it was all geared toward the survival of the family. There was not a lot of romance in, in those but, times. But, but husbands and wives worked together. They yeah. were companions in life. And, and again, the contrast, now we can control birth. Uh, we have um, the birth control pill starting in the 60s, which is a whole new ball game for women and men together. Absolutely. And it has changed everything. And you have both written this incredible book, which I had, took the, the, the whole week reading. And I, I read it, I think, in two days. I mean, it was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's called The Marriage Map, The Road to Transforming Your Marriage, ordeal, uh, your marriage from Ordeal to Adventure. And uh, you put both of you have put in your wisdom, your experience, and individual journeys in this in this wonderful little book. And uh, I just loved it. And I wish we had three hours today to be able to talk about what you put into this book and uh, the highlight all the differences between men and similarities between men and women in this relationship marriage journey. And folks, you can get this book on Amazon as well as find it on their website, which is www dot the marriage map dot com that's t-h-e-m-a-r-r-i-a-g-e-m-a-p dot com the marriage map dot com and there's so much information here but i uh, i want to ask each of you individually one quick uh, as something that i took out of your introductions michael in your introduction you described the marriage journey as a hero's and heroine's journey with many adventures and you ended that paragraph with, it promises to transform your experience 
of love into something much more intense than you could ever imagine. Could you explain why you see it as a hero heroine's journey? So in our, our book, both Barbara and I describe the man's hero's journey and the woman's hero's journey. So the man's hero's journey that we describe in the book is the story of Percival, the greatest knight in King Arthur's court. And this is a, a young man who had fantastic skills but was totally uneducated. And, and, and he would just shoot birds with his spear and kill them but feel really bad about it. But he just had that energy of the masculine energy. And then he finally goes off to King Arthur's court and they teach him how to be a good knight. And he learns that he can't just, you know, do whatever he wants even though his physical skills are fantastic, they teach him how to be a great knight. And there's a lot of rules and regulations to be a great knight. You have to do all kinds of things, including learning that you don't ask questions until someone asks you first. You don't speak until someone asks you. So he learns how to be the greatest knight in the world. And he is indeed, everyone recognizes that he's the greatest knight in the world. And he's acclaimed by everybody. And he gets invited into this holy mystical grail castle the holy grail castle where the king has been injured and is in pain and the castle's under a spell and everyone in the castle is waiting for the greatest knight in the world to come in and ask the king what ails the old king but he can't ask the question because no one's you know he's got to be asked first so the whole night goes by. He never asked the king. He's wondering. He wants to ask, but but he's, he, he can't because he's a great knight. And so the, the whole evening is over. The next day, he's out of the castle, and then he's told by, um, by a, uh, a sage that, oh, you have failed in the quest, and you are now a failure because you should have asked the king come from your heart. And he is angry, and everyone in, the, in, in, in England realizes that he's a failure and he's just angry because he has tried so hard to be the greatest knight in the world and he's failed and he goes for six years in pain and struggle he says i'm going to get back to this castle no matter what they all say you can't get back it's not possible but he keeps on working on things and he works on himself and he works on his feelings and his emotions he meets people and he grows and develops until he actually changes his heart and he forgives everybody in his life that, that, that he imagined has hurt him, and he actually gets invited back into the Grail Castle and becomes the Grail King. Mm -hmm. That is a mythological story that every man needs to go through. I became a great doctor. Everyone acknowledged me. You're such a great doctor. You're the best. You're wonderful and all that. And the only problem I had is my wife thought I was awful. She thought I was... <laughs> I was, I was, uh, you know, uncaring, uncaring. Mm -hmm. She had so many words. I don't want to say it over the air. She had many, many mean words for me. <laughs> and, and, and here I was trying so hard to take care of the family, to get enough money, to become a good doctor, to take care of the kids. And she was just thought I was awful. And it took time for me to go through all these processes, but that's what love does to you. It's not supposed to be an easy, smooth ride. The hero's journey is never easy and smooth. It is a difficult journey that causes you to go inside yourself and you have to eventually get to forgive everybody in your life for every upset that's ever happened. Mm -hmm. And then you change your heart. You, you have your intellects 
uh, worked out, but you have to change your heart. Mm. And that's the hero's journey for a man. Now, we have the woman's hero's journey. You can tell it too. So, paradoxically, growing your marriage and going beyond that power struggle, uh, you grow individually. So, um, I believe marriage is an opportunity to grow, grow your own personal development and also learn how to connect deeply with your partner. Well, you had in the book, you mentioned something, uh, Barbara, about uh, um, <clears throat> the uh, the myth of uh, excuse me, Eros and Psyche, which was Eros more the role, the, the, the journey that a woman makes in her right. hero's journey, really connected to that idea of Psyche and Eros. Could you kind of elaborate just a little bit about that story? She likes when I tell the story, and she'll and she'll comment on it. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, so, so some women will do the male hero's journey uh -huh. when they go to medical school or law school, and they become very in their intellect, not in their emotions, and they go through the male things. But uh, traditionally, women go through a process where they they have the kids, and they're taking care of things, and they're accommodating. And so the mythological story that's quintessential for that, uh, the female growth is Psyche and Eros, or Psyche and Cupid. So uh, Psyche was the only goddess who decided she wanted to experience what it's like to be a human being, and she gained, she gave up her goddesshood. She comes down to the earth, and everyone worships her. She's so beautiful. No one could marry her because she's so beautiful. They worship her. And... And um, Venus, the god of love and sensuality, gets jealous and says uh, to her son, Eros, come down and shoot the arrow into Psyche and have her fall in love with a monster so we'll get rid of her. So he comes to shoot her with the arrow in front of the monster and he sees how beautiful she is and, and his hand slips and he cuts himself with his own arrow and he falls in love with her. He brings her away and says, okay, come with me. I want to marry you, but you cannot see my face. Can I make an interjection? Isn't that just like a man? I love, <laughs> love me, but we're not. I'm not going to share my innermost feelings and thoughts. So they live in his beautiful castle in the in the mountains, and they and they have a beautiful relationship. They make love every night. She gets pregnant, and then her sisters come and visit and said, "I, I, I think he might be a demon. You really should just look at him. You know, don't 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 take this stuff about not seeing him at all." So she comes with a, a little um, candle. Uh, candle to look at him while he's sleeping at night. And she sees how beautiful he is. And her hand shakes and some of the wax falls on him. He wakes up and says, you have violated our agreement. I'm out of here. He goes back to his mother in the heavens in Mount Olympus. And he leaves her and she is distraught. And she's so uh, bereft and sad and upset. And she goes on this journey to try to find him. And Venus, the goddess of love and sensuality, says, oh, I'll help you. Not really. And she says, just go on these few little adventures and we'll take care of you. And so she gave her four adventures to go on that are impossible tasks. So one is um, to separate seeds and beans and, and it's a mountain and it's not possible, but but uh, that happens with the uh, help of uh, a mountain of ants. And that symbolizes a woman's need to sort out what she really wants and needs, articulate them, and not just be emotional. And then uh, the second task uh, that she was given by um, Venus was, was um, uh, I, I, um, Venus wanted to have a, a um, um, uh, golden, uh, the golden, um, 
fleece from these wild rams, uh, that divine rams, wanted the fleece from them to make a shawl. And it's and, and and these rams are just wild. You go near them, they kill you right away. And Psyche doesn't know what to do, but she's told in a whisper, uh, wait till the sun goes down and the rams calm down, and then you can gather up from the bushes all around them that they've been rubbing on get all the fleece from the bushes and then you'll get all the fleece what she does so this teaches her not to not to go up against a man's anger but wait until there's quiet and then go and collect what you want and need so that's how you deal with men's anger you don't bounce up against it <laughs> and then and then the third the third task that she's given is to gather from the from the um the river Styx, which is a divine river that, that separates the living from the dead, and it's like a, a hot, foaming, energetic, and, and if the gods will drink from it, they become, uh, uh, their immortal, uh, mortal life is invigorated. And she's given a cup to collect some water for for Venus, and, and she finds that, uh, you know, it's impossible. It's, it's a, there's a dragon there who, who guards it, and 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 it's it's hopeless she was going to to kill herself and jump in but zeus feels sorry for her he grabs the cup before she jumps in swoops down as as, as an eagle and, and he gathers up the water and comes up and and the, the dragon can't catch him and he gives her the cup and she brings the cup to venus of this water so this represents a woman's need to connect with her soul and her spirit and find her own inner essence and center mm -hmm. and be, become an independent individual and, and then the last of these, um, the last of these um, uh, tasks is to go into the underworld where no one's ever come back out alive. But she has to go into the underworld and get this cream from, from the, the head of the underworld, which uh, for, for a goddess, it makes you look uh, youthful again. And that's what she has to get. And it's hopeless. There's no chance of success. Uh, but she is told by the gate that's uh, guarding the underworld, this is what you have to do. You have to put um, uh, two loaves of bread, one in each hand. You have to put uh, two golden coins in your mouth, and you go into the underworld. And when you go in, you give one loaf of bread to the, the dogs, the three-headed dogs who got it. And then when you throw it to them, they'll be busy eating it. And you can get past them. You go into the river. You have to cross the river, and you give the ferryman one of the gold coins on the way in and one on the way out. And the thing that you're not allowed to do at any time is to talk to anybody, be nice to anybody, feel sorry for anybody, touch them. Once you do that, you're dead because all the people there are wanting your attention and they, they cry and they, they're so upset and your job is not to react to any of them, which she does and she does the whole thing and she goes in and out. So the, um, the learning here is to discipline yourself, to have boundaries, not to overgive, but to be uh, centered, stay on your, on your path and on your purpose. And, um, and so uh, Psyche um, manages herself and she accomplishes this. So then you think it's over now, but it's not quite over. So now she comes out and she's all disheveled and she's, she's, everything is torn up and, 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 and she's pregnant. And she says, oh, I have this cream that makes you look beautiful. Maybe I'll put the cream on myself, which she does. And she immediately dies because she's still a human and you can't put this immortal cream on you and stay alive. So she dies. And then 
And then um, Eros, <clears throat> her ex-husband, sees her, and he he feels so moved, moved by who she's become. He leaves his mother. He comes down and picks her up, brings her up to Zeus, and says, "Zeus, I want her for my wife." Mm-hmm. And 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 I don't care what my mother says. I want to marry her. She's my wife. Bring her back to life, which Zeus does, and she becomes once again a goddess. And they live happy ever after. And their child is called Joy. So the, the story shows the development of both individuals. Uh, Psyche does her part by developing herself, both internally and with new skills. And Eros is so moved that he he shifts away from his um, alliance with his mom, and he he joins uh, Psyche by her side, becomes a full partner, and they love and live happily ever after. Which is essentially the journey of a man and a woman, what the opportunities to grow over a lifetime. Yes, I think so. I and mean, I think these early mythological stories are so many of them, but the ones that you've articulated in your book uh, are really are. I have identified the uh, the intrapsychic journey, that transpersonal journey that we go through. And there's so many things. When you're talked about, Dr. Michael, about the, uh, the Fisher King wound, you know, that was something that, uh, I, you know, many men experience. They don't even know. They're not even conscious that they're actually experiencing that wound because you're so driven. You're so career-oriented. You're so trying to make your way in the world. And, but it's a wounding to our feeling function. And it's a wounding to that ability to sense and feel the people around us to be able to make that connection. And so many people uh, will find, and that's why we have these midlife crises where we're caught up and we've done all the things that we were supposed to do. And all of a sudden, look at this. I'm completely unhappy. I got the job. I got the career. I got the family. I got this stuff. No, what's wrong with me? What is going on with me? And so you have these crises that are coming up. But I want to move on to a couple things that you did in your in uh, because our, 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 I can't. I want to make sure that we're moving the the show forward here just a little bit. Uh, In your workshop that you did uh, so beautifully out in in Las Vegas where I had an opportunity to meet you both and uh, participate in in how you dance together in your workshop and moving back, it was beautiful. But you brought in a concept that I think is so important for people to get and to understand in how to be able to have... uh, the concept of autonomy and attachment because so many people can fall into the pattern. I know I fell into that pattern where I'm, I'm, I, I get involved in a relationship and now I completely, for, I'm just, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to make this other person happy. But at, the, at the same time, it was sacrificing my own needs and my own wants at the same time. Can you explain, can you describe in greater detail this, this dance of autonomy and attachment and why it's so fundamental to a healthy relationship. So we can start with uh, when you're a newborn baby, it's just you and the breast. You cry and the breast comes, and, and you're just one with it. You get to be two years old, and then you're not so one with everything. Uh, you, your mother is not so cooperative, and you get into this, you know, no, I don't like this, I want it my way, and you're more a little bit more aut- autonomous. You get to be four and seven and eight, nine years old, and you love being part of the family. Just one of the kids, one of the family, and you're just so happy to be part of the family. Get to be 13, you're not so happy to be part of the family. You want it your way. You know the way it should be. You know what you like and what you don't like. And and the family's not quite seeing it that way. And, and, And you feel much more autonomous, separate from the things you love. Get to be in your 20s. 
you may be married, you have your own kids, and once again, you love being part of the family, and you're just one of the group, and you love that. And then you get to be 30 or 40, and then you move into this other phase where you want to be more separate once again. You want to have your own way of expressing yourself, and, and you feel like you need to be more independent. You had enough of all this family stuff. And then you may move to other stages. Later, you may get back into feeling close again. But each of these phases are difficult transitions. So what Michael's trying to say is that balancing your individuality with connection is a developmental accomplishment. And I say that the cognitive dissonance of listening to your partner and also sharing yourself with two very different points of view and doing that regularly, it helps develop not only your competence in, in um, listening and respecting yourself, but it also allows you to deeply understand another person. And over time, you integrate that ability to hold on to yourself and hear and respect another person. And it, it, in a way, it's, um, it's like the, uh, a pearl and a, an oyster. There's, there is a, a tension and irritation about it at first, but eventually the developmental uh, value of this becomes very present in your life where you can, you can hold on to yourself and, and appreciate your partner and make good decisions together and enjoy each other and enjoy the differences instead of resisting the differences. But it, you know, it, it takes, it takes, um, you know, practicing listening and honoring yourself and honoring the person day after day. And that's what we teach our couples so that they accomplish this developmental, um, value and it's beautiful when it, it comes <laughs> and, and and I can say that the the quality of love at every stage is more intense so the quality of love when you're when you're um, uh, when you're a teenager is different than the quality of love when you're 25 or when you're 40 or when you're 60 the intensity of love gets stronger and stronger as you develop yourself it, it doesn't remain the same. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that you mentioned just there while we were talking is learning how to honor and revere and respect and cherish and appreciate the person that's across from you. Not trying to steal or take anything from them, just, or just seeing and looking at the beauty that is standing in there and loving them exactly as they are, not trying to change them, not trying to do any of those things, because I think that often happens, at least some of the relationships that I've been into, where we were caught up in this needing, all right, I love you, but I want to change you. <laughs> I love you, but you got to be different. you got to be different from who you are. And uh, that created a lot of power plays, you know, and these are learned patterns, I think. And, and instead of lifting us up, uh, love gets used as a weapon to punish others. It gets used as uh, a means like I'm going to hold back my love from you because you're not giving me what I need. And, uh, and, and that kind of, those power plays uh, are, you know, end up leading to a lot of the things where couples are fighting against each other and arguing and complaining. And you know, like I said, in, those, in these uh, classes that I teach with the divorce, uh, they're coming from these high conflict situations where the marriages are deteriorated into a power struggle uh, for dominance, control, and power, uh, manipulation tactics, jealousy, sexual infidelity, and abuse often characterize these, uh, these, these couples, and it's painful to see because the home has become a war zone. Marriage often becomes a power struggle for couples. Uh, Dr. Barbara and Dr. Michael, how do you help them? Well, we teach them skills. We, we, 
we explain the big picture um, of how of the inevitability of love breaking down and what's required of, of rebuilding it in a conscious level. And um, they, um, and as they learn the skills, they reconnect and uh, rediscover themselves. I have a, um, I have a um, kind of a, a um, an exercise to, that I do just to, um, uh, it's, it's almost like a parlor trick. I have couples write down what they want to accomplish in the course. And I tell them, go reach for the stars and I'll return these sheets at the end of the course and you'll compare your results with what you've written. And without exception, all couples get what they write on their lists. Mm, that's beautiful. <laughs> and, and so the skills that we teach are the skills that you naturally had done when you first were romantically involved when you were courting. Then everything's automatic. You just love pleasing the other person. You love thanking them for what they did. You go out to a restaurant, go out to a movie. Oh, thank you so much. It was so lovely. When you're courting, everything, you just thank each other. You appreciate each other. You listen to each other. Oh, I'm so interested in what you're doing and how you're, you're understanding things. We teach you to consciously do the same things you did when you were courting. And, but there's specific skills, but now you're doing it consciously. And that's what transforms the relationship back again. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. And, and I think it's important, you know, just exactly what you're saying. You've got to learn the skills. We have to teach you. We have to learn from people who understand how to be able to do this in order to get the skills so that we can apply it and practice it in our marriages and our relationships. Uh, uh, Dr. Byron, Dr. Michael, do you think it's important for uh, each person in the marriage to maintain a sense of individuality, to have their own interests and hobbies and leisure activities and friends, or once you're married, do you just give that up and uh, dissolve into the relationship, do everything together? <clears throat> Is there a balance? What's the healthy bond for two people to make a, to make a marriage work? Well, I like I like couples to um, grow their individual interests, and uh, I do believe couples should have a hobby together. Mm -hmm. They should not just be uh, overwhelmed by the business of life, uh, and um, and their uh, their separate interests and friendships should all be respectful and support their relationship. Um, but um, you know, Michael's uh, Michael teaches and practices meditation, uh, and that's not my form of spirituality. And um, uh, I'm more intellectual, and I have. Um, uh, you know, hobbies that have to do with um, uh, continual learning and writing articles, and and uh, I have my own girlfriends, uh, so that um, uh, you know we have our different interests, but we they all support our life together. And and then it's very important for the couple to have common interests. So you have some separate things, and and couples love to see the other partner being successful and doing their thing. So Barbara loves watching me lecture and having people think I'm so wonderful. And she says, wow, that's my guy. And, and, and that's really nice just to see your partner being successful. Uh, on the other hand, she loves having me connected to her when we do our ballroom dancing together. We have intense, we compete in ballroom dancing together. Um, standard ballroom, uh, a waltz, tango, foxtrot, quick step. We compete and it's very intense, and we practice about six days a week for an hour and a half each day. And it's very intense, and we, we enjoy that, and we love doing that together. So you have to have both of those things. the separate things and the things that you're doing together that make you enjoy each other's um, uh, and feel connected. 
let me add that um, sexual tension happens in the distance when we observe our, our partner and we miss them a little bit mm-hmm. and we're excited about them. Uh, too much togetherness uh, is too familiar and it's, it's not hot. I totally agree. I absolutely agree with you, Dr. Barr, on that. You know, you, you, it just that little, that adds a little mystery, a little novelty, a little excitement when you don't have them because they're away from you. And then there's this sense of longing and needing. But when they're around you all every moment at every second, you can get on each other's nerves. So I think you're, I think you're exactly right in having to strike that balance. Um, you have both said something that, to me that I, and I want to make sure that we get this in. What does it mean that we live in a masculinized society? So I think um, the world of work is the world of competence. It's the world of uh, accountability and mental function, and it's masculine. And um, women are joining that world, and they enjoy self-expression, and it's wonderful. Uh, but it, it um, diminishes the, the difference, that important tension between the masculine and feminine energies. Mm-hmm. And so I like, I think it's wonderful that women are, are successful. I have successful daughters, and, uh, and, um, and I like having my own goals and fulfilling them. But I, uh, it's important to remember that there's, um, there's a feminine aspect of personality and a masculine aspect of personality, and, and that's what gives us the juice. And so I, uh, I, I look to remind women uh, to come from that feminine part uh, a lot and do it consciously because it's not so effortless when you're busy and competent. So oftentimes in our classes, we have to work with the women to say, well, let's have you make some requests to nurture your feminine side because these are women who, who are very successful in their, in their business and careers and they have to relearn how to make requests that are feminine. Feminine requests are the ones that not make the world bigger and better. Feminine requests are just to feel more emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And women have to relearn that because they've learned how to be the other way. And so that's a process and we have specific uh, practices that we have the women do. Well, I think that's, you know, being able to touch, you know, again, this is all learning to get back, in, back, back into our hearts back into that sense of, you know, opening our hearts for men, but, you know, and, and allowing women to go back into that sense of that, that softness of that divine feminine, that, that grace that comes with that. And I think that's uh, so beautiful because it's so necessary. It's what helps to keep the balance, I think, in, in relationships. And you also say that you're never upset for the reasons you think. So uh, what do you mean by that? I, I remember you saying that. So why are we never upset for the reasons we think? So anytime you're upset, 99.9%, it's always based upon the past. You're upset in the present because your, 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 your partner did something that touched a, a uh, um, event that happened a long time ago. Maybe you were six, maybe you were nine, maybe you were 12, and something happened that made you feel bad. So, so I am very sensitive to criticism because my mother was so intense about things. If you didn't do it the right way, wow, she came down on you like a pile of bricks. And you had to walk on eggs and make sure you didn't upset mother. And so I am very sensitive to criticism. So if Barbara says something that could be construed as being very slightly critical, I am in an upset. Oh, you're criticizing me. She says, I didn't criticize you. I said, well, it feels like you criticized me. 
And so it's because I have one upset built on the other. And so that, for me, is a big, big thing. Barbara has her own things where she lost her father when she was um, was uh, two years old. Uh, they got divorced. And, and then she, uh, she had a, a new father when they got remarried when she was seven and eight. And, and then she lost her grandmother because she wasn't living with her grandmother. So she doesn't like, she doesn't like um, uh, loss, you know. So, so, so if I'm on an airplane, I have to call her when the airplane lands and say, no, I haven't died. I haven't crashed. I'm still alive. Or else she's upset. So she, you're, you're not, she's not upset about what's going on with the airplane now. It's built upon the past. And when you understand each other that you're not upset for the present thing, it's built on other things, then the, the present upset doesn't become overwhelming. It's just, oh, it's because of your sensitivities about it. So when you understand where your sensitivities are coming from, then you realize you're not upset about the present. It just is built upon that. But you can heal each other by being accommodating and, and understanding to each other's sensitivities. Mm -hmm. Well, that's something that I haven't been the best at doing. You know, it's, uh, yeah, man, you're totally right. When you're upset and about uh, something that she did or he did or with us, I'm thinking about something that happened in the past, and I'm really connecting to that sense of, my gosh, you know, you did this and you did this, and boy, you've got to heal it in the present. You've got to be willing to work with the person that you're, that you're involved with and, like you said, address those things as they come up and understanding those sensitivities. And we can be very sensitive, and especially if we have childhood wounds that we're still trying to navigate through. And you believe, both of you have said that you, you describe how marriage can actually heal the wounds of childhood. How does that work? Well, when you, when you share your, the wounds of childhood, and we all have them, it's, it's you know, no, no parent can be everything to us. It's not possible. And so there, you know, we, we each of us feel hurt or, or wounded or um, uh, uh, disappointed. It, you know, there's, there's, we all have stories about what didn't work for us, and, and they may not be as conscious till we trip over them in our relationships. If we, we f reflect on them and, and uh, understand our wounds and share them and, and, and look to, to d define what we need in present time that would uh, soothe those wounds and heal them. Um, that that's an extraordinary gift we can give our partners. Mm -hmm. And over time, over time, we 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 actually uh, dissolve those old hurts. You actually feel so loved by your partner that it actually those those old wounds tend to flatten out, mm -hmm. and and they don't seem to feel like it's a big deal anymore. But that takes that takes a long time. Well, I, I, uh, I certainly hope that uh, the next relationship I'm in that we'll be able to do that. <laughs> um, how do we handle that one before we get into your, uh, your, your class and uh, how people can get in contact with you as we're coming uh, very close to the end of the show today? Um, how do people balance the needs of marriage uh, and partnership and family and friends? Uh, do we, you know, you know, so I've had some couples or some people that they've dropped their family, they dropped their friends, now they're just completely involved in their partner. And I, you know, but at the same time, that's not, you're not staying in balance in that. How can couples find a happy, healthy ba balance for everybody involved? Well, as you, you know, um, every couple has to negotiate what they want and need. And of course, when you first fall in love, you're absorbed in the romance of it all. But 
um, eventually you have to you have to juggle work and children and parents and friends and perhaps a community of faith. Um, and uh, as these needs become uh, you become aware of them, you want you need to be able to talk about you know how you can fit it all together and not neglect you know your partner and neglect the most the, the, your priorities and it's a um it's just a process of figuring out how your life works and you know I, when you you get the balance or you have a formula for you know for one period of time in your relationship it may not fit for another time so it's a continuous uh, conversation about what works for your for your lives but what we can say is that in every romantic partnership you need to have Schedule time to be together once a week a date night just you and your partner no one else because you can sit there and talk and share and be together very important not the kids not the parents not the family and friends just you and the partner you just go on that's what you did when you were dating we also have in our, our, our classes we teach couples how to share for five minutes without interruption which is very important that you Every do day. on a regular basis and so that's really critical to do that. And so you have to have that intense personal connection. And so then, then, then there's a lot of other things you may need to do. We go on vacations intermittently and have some, 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 some weekends together and so on. But so you got to create the balance. Most people fall on the side of not enough personal connection time together. That's that's what happens for most people. Well, I think that's uh, you know, and uh, I can see that uh, you know in, in a lot of the people that I work with, uh, having not taken the time to just be with each other and uh, continue to do the things that you did when you were first seeing and, and being a part and going out on your dates. Um, in just two days, you have, both will begin teaching your workshop called Falling in Love Forever. It's uh, four Sunday evenings starting June 9th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And people can join you live online or on location in Irvine, California for a very special series of classes that will transform your relationships and uh, fulfill your cherished dreams. Uh, for those who are listening and are interested in the land uh, are interested, the landing page for this workshop is uh, fallinginlovesecrets.com. Uh, that's fallinginlovesecrets.com, F-A-L-L-I-N-G-I-N-L-O-V-E-S-E-C-R-E-T-S.com slash Bob Doyle, B-O-B-D-O-Y-L-E. And uh, folks, uh, we're just about ready to come to a close of the show. Uh, Dr. Barbara and Dr. Uh, Michael, we have a poor connection right now, but I know you're still on. Uh, can pe what can people expect from this uh, transformational series? Well, uh, anyone who takes the class can expect that the quality of their romance, the quality of their their intimate connection will greatly increase. They will have skills that they can use for the rest of their lives. This is not something you do for those uh, four weeks. This is like life skills. You will learn specific technologies, techniques, processes that we have done for 25 years, and they will transform the quality of your romantic relationships, and they will press you to personally grow and develop spiritually as you learn to appreciate your partner and as they learn to appreciate you. Well, that sounds fantastic. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and you also have a free gift as well, Life Romantic. Life's Romantic Roller Coaster, a downloadable blueprint for navigating your romantic partnership 
through life's inevitable ups and downs. Uh, where can people go to download this gift? Well, that uh, that should be. Um, um, Trying to remember the, uh, the the tracking. Is it number. on the marriagemap.com? Is that where people can find well, it? Well, they know they go to. Um, um, we can leave a message on the marriagemap.com. Order. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the. Uh, I don't remember the um, the tracking number we have. I think it is. Um, um, uh, I had it written down, but I don't have it right in front of me. So um, it, um, it 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 uh, it should be um, uh, fallinglovesecrets.com forward slash uh, roller coaster. But uh, you know they may have to go on the website. I'll I'll make sure it's on the website. If they go to the marriagemap.com, I'll I'll make sure that we leave the um, um, uh, the, uh, the, the the link to it on the website. The marriagemap.com. I'll make sure that's on there. So the marriagemap.com, and uh, they'll have that uh, just uh, for all of you folks who are listening in today. It's Life's Romantic Roller Coaster. It's a downloadable blueprint for you. Uh, they have the Falling in Love uh, Forever Workshop that is coming up. And uh, do you have any other events coming up soon that people can be able to find you, or opportunities to meet you? Um, how can people reach you, Dr. Barbara and Dr. Michael? Um, uh, the uh, the website uh, uh, the tracking number is fallingalovesecrets.com forward slash roller coaster that's how they get that stuff and and they, they should just uh, go, go to our website themarriagemap.com and we'll have things listed on there various events that we do in the future we have a variety of things that we're always doing something different and that will be the best place for them to track us okay Fantastic. And uh, lastly, I always ask before we close out the show here on the council uh, for my guest, um, you know, Dr. Michael, and, he, and if you both of you could give us uh, an answer, Dr. Michael and Dr. Barbara, if you could give one piece of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be? Well, if you, if you, our message is that you can grow together. You just have to set the intention and be willing to have uh, men mentors. Or well, we lost them. So anyway, they didn't get the chance to say what they wanted to say, but that's all right. Um, <clears throat> so, folks, anyway, uh, you can live a life together. There is ways, there's possibilities uh, of being able to open your heart and taking the chance. You've got to learn to love each other. You've got to learn to be able to understand your you know, the dynamics that are happening between you, willingness to work with them. Both Dr. Barbara and Dr. Michael are, are outstanding and experts in being able to help couples come together to be able to, you know, uh, create that lasting lifelong uh, love forever. And so I hope you've enjoyed today's show on the council. Uh, please come back. Uh, we're going to be back on in two weeks. Uh, we will have Lisa Thomas on the show. We will be talking about epigenetics and other things at that time. Uh, again, I want to thank KUHSDenver.com. Uh, KUHS Denver, Henry and everybody here at the station. Thank you for so much for, uh, for allowing the council to be here and to broadcast to all of you. We are broadcasting the best music and the best programs, not only here in Denver, but all across the nation and all across the world. 
Thank you, folks, for tuning in. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. Council is adjourned. We'll be back in two weeks. God bless.